Something that you may not know On Judd's Napa Valley Show Ian Anderson of Judd's Tall. There ain't no more That's it, okay, Gordon Lustig, live and in studio, thank you uh, What a fun show today, guys Hey, Judd, it's great to be back here at Broadcast Park. It is. We had a great show today. We had Gordon Lustig joining us live and in person in the studio, playing a little ukulele theme song, uh, his great GPS tune coming up. Don't miss that. And then a call from Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull. He's my hero, by the way. I love Ian Anderson. You go way back with his music, don't you? Yeah, I just saw him in the last couple years, and he was amazing. Yeah. Cool. Well, it was really exciting to be able to talk to him, hear about what he's doing now with his new rock opera, and get a little insight into how he enjoys his wine. Not with corks. Yeah. But uh, let's not give away oh, too much. No, 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 no. Okay. Yeah. And what kind of cuisine he enjoys. And Gordon, nice to hear about your conducting gig coming up at Hollywood Bowl. I think he called right when we were starting to talk about that, so I do want to congratulate you. I think we got interrupted. But congratulations, Hollywood Bowl, big time, conducting yeah. an orchestra. That's right, that's right. You, um, you seem thrilled. Uh, yeah, I, I will be thrilled. Uh, yeah, I am thrilled. <laughs> I'm a little spaced out. It's a space orchestra. Ah, that must explain it. Yes. Well, before we get to the show, Lauren Mole, do you want to give him some information? We invite you to check out Judd's Winery at the south end of Silverado Trail, Judd's Hill Winery. Call 707-255-2332 for tours and information. Judd Hill Winery. Did I say that right? Judd Hill's Winery. Now the first one. Possessive. Judd's Hill. Oh, Judd Hill Winery. That's harder to do. That's good. Yes, we also have a website, juddshill.com, and all of the visiting information can be found there, as well as... Oh, I have another line that I just thought of that works really well with this melody. It goes, sitting on a park bench. That's all. Oh, that's a good one. Well, when you're on juddshill.com, you can also find wine-related poetry, our quirky videos, and, of course, wine. So come visit us in person or visit us online. And, of course, put some wine into your shopping cart. And, Lauren, we should give them a little deal. Sure, Judd. If you type in coupon code J-N-V-S, uh, this is all in lowercase letters, please, no capitals, you'll get 15% off your entire wine order. That's right, J-N-V-S for Judd's Napa Valley Show. Get that deal, and if you want a better deal than that, join our wine club. It's free to join, we guarantee you a good time, you get to try all of our wines, you get a very nice price on those wines, and we will look forward to seeing you very soon. And until then... Ukulele power, Gordon. Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Judd's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show. On Judd's Napa Valley Show. I say, on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Judd's Napa. Judd's Napa Valley. Judd's Napa Valley. Wait for it. Show! It's summertime. Let's all chime for Judd's Hill Wine. It's so fine. You'll be a lover of his terrific wine. And here's your host, 
Judd Finkelstein. Good morning, Mr. Lauren Mole. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine, Judd. How about you? I'm great. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that fabulous introduction. It's been a while since we've been in the studio here. That's right. It's good to be back home, Judd. It is. We had a couple weeks off for a little summer break. Before that, our last show was actually recorded at Napa Valley's most exclusive cocktail lounge, the Wiki Wiki Grog Shop, which was a blast. That's that. That was fun. Yeah, let, let's do it again sometime. I, I plan on it. That was really a good vibe. We could uh, soak amongst the uh, mysterious, exotic, and, uh, and beautiful South Sea ambiance of the Wiki Wiki Grog Shop, as well as soaking a little rum at the same time, which I think they frown upon here in the studio. Ah, I see. We're joined today by who, Lauren? Would you like to give him a little intro? Ladies and gentlemen, we welcome once again to Judd's Napa Valley Show, our musical director, Gordon Lustig. Get rid. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought that was you did my, that, but I love it. You can do it again if you want. <laughs> sorry, Gordon. You can't do it twice. Oh, okay. Gordon, always a pleasure to have you here. You are the mad musical genius who very much. Uh, composed and performs, not always live. When you're in studio, you do it live. But every week, we hear your theme song that you that you wrote for this show. And people often point at me and say, you know, while it's playing, is that you? Is that you? Because they know I'm the ukulele player. And I say, that is not me. That is the fabulous Gordon Lustig. It's your stand-in. That's right. My stunt double. <laughs> stunt my ukulele stunt double. Well, thanks for being here today. We're sure. going to have some fun. I'm going to turn to this man, Lauren Mole, because he's got stuff to talk about, I think. You always have something cooking, Mr. Lauren. What's up? That's right. Well, uh, I was just recently in the, uh, the 4th of July parade here in downtown Napa. Yeah, and how did that go? I, this is the first year I've missed it. We were out of town. I'm usually here. I look forward to that every year. I watch you sing on the, on the float. I wasn't here, so fill me in. Well, this year, I'm happy to say the parade was an absolute success. Wonderful. What made it successful in your mind? Well, unfortunately, Judd, uh, there was no uh, Terry Bradford and the Nap Valley Community Chorus this year. I'm, I'm a little disappointed about that. I understand Terry's reasons. He's got things to do, and right. uh, he's focusing on some new projects. But what a fun community group that was. So where were you singing if you weren't with the Terry Bradford Chorus? Well, actually, I was not singing this time. I was actually with the uh, with the Channel 28 float with Artie Party and Company. Oh, okay. I figured you'd be singing just because you were such a singer. So Well, what, what sadly, you... no. Oh, I know, I know. But what, what, what were you doing on that float? Oh, I, was, uh, I got to wave uh, one of the, uh, the special signs that we have, courtesy of Signorama. And what did that sign say? It says, The Napa Show with Artie Party, Channel 28. Orale! Orale! And what time does that come on? Wednesday nights from 6 to 7.30 and Saturday nights from 10 to 11.30 and streaming live on uh, NapaValleyTV.org. That's wonderful. You know, it's one of the one of the big problems with this show we're doing right now. And you can say problem, maybe not. I like to think of radio as theater of the mind. Some people like that you can't see what's going on. And actually, I prefer that aspect of it. Being on camera makes me a little nervous and self-conscious. But one of the drawbacks is that the listeners cannot see the face of this handsome man right here, Lauren Mole. But if you tune in to Artie Party's show every Wednesday, you can see Lauren Mole live and in person, on camera, always dressed sharp. That's right. Announcing his little heart out. That's right. In front of my <laughs> TV28-styled microphone. <laughs> That's it. You want us to have these here with the KVON flags on them. That's right. Yeah, one of these days. One of these days, exactly. And you want a webcam in here, too. Hmm. You know what? Not really. Yeah, me neither. I like people to use their imaginations. Yeah, yeah so uh, so uh, what, what's been going on with you, Judd? How are your travels? Oh, really nice. Thanks for asking. Yeah, I was out of town this past week. and had a great time. 
went and visited some friends up in the Seattle area on, on Bainbridge Island. Never been there before. It's a beautiful, wow. beautiful spot. I'm told, I didn't look this up to fact check, I'm told it's about the size of Manhattan in New York, but only 25,000 people living on that island as opposed to whatever the population of Manhattan is. So you can imagine the, the, the forests that are there, the uninterrupted views of the hills and the, and the water. It's, it's just gorgeous. Had a very nice, relaxing time. Uh, enjoyed fireworks on the 4th up there. Had fun, but it's nice to be back. You know, a little recharge. And we've got some stuff coming up, too. Uh, Some fun musical events coming up. Okay. This coming Sunday at Silos here in downtown Napa, Judd's Hill Winery. Have you heard of that? I have. Yeah, yeah, good. That's a good spot, they tell me. It is. Yeah, Judd's Hill Winery presents Thelonious Monkey. Who's Thelonious Monkey? It's a group from Los Angeles, California. Talk about mad musical geniuses. Gordon, I hope you can come to this. I think you'd appreciate this. This is a group of L.A. session players who have formed a combo, and they do what they call jazz derangements. And they will take on some original material, but also take on, uh, in this particular show, I think the second set is all 80s pop music, but arranged in this very high-functioning jazz way that I hardly understand, but I enjoy it immensely. I remember listening to them once in Los Angeles, and the band was playing in one-time signature, and the drummer was in a different well, that's one. That's how most of the groups are that I play with. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but on purpose. <laughs> well, no, that's the difference. Yeah, right. But it worked somehow. You know, every so many measures, they lined up, and yeah. it was just a cool... If I thought about it, my head would hurt, but if I just sat back and enjoyed it, it was just enjoyable. So I encourage people to come out this Sunday night, see this amazingly wonderful band, Thelonious Monkey at Silos. It starts at 8 p.m., uh, tickets are $15, only 15 bucks wow. if you get them in advance or 20 bucks at the door. And you can go on the Silos website, look up Thelonious Monkey, Judshill.com on events. It's all there. And, of course, there will be some specials on Judd's Hill wine by the glass and by the bottle. So come join us this Sunday there. Then, moving forward a couple weeks, Yucapalooza at Oxbow. Our is it annual- that time again? It is Yucapalooza time. Friday, July 29th. That happens at the Oxbow Public Market. It's free to come. It's 6 to 9. Bring a ukulele. Uh, Gordon, I hope you'll be there again uh, with your ukulele and any of your ukulele students who would like to come and perform. My band that does old-time Hawaiian music will be anchoring it, so the Maikai Gents will be playing. You know, We'll do a few tunes, then we'll invite anybody who's got a ukulele tune to come and perform. Then we'll do a few more tunes. The merchants inside of the Oxbow Public Market will have... One-night-only island-style specials. There will be vintage Aloha wear for sale from Retro Diva. Uh, Melissa Gruenhagen comes. She's a great vintage Aloha wear dealer. Voices Youth Center, which is a great, great, important organization in our fair city of Napa that gets um, at-risk youth and also youth who are in foster homes gives them training, job training, life skill training, so they can really thrive when they're on their own. It's a benefit for them. Well, how's it a benefit if it's a free show? They've got a raffle. You'll buy a raffle ticket. They've got fabulous prizes every year, and you'll want to come and support that as well. Again, it's free to attend. Bring the kids. It's very family-friendly. Friday, July 29th, 6 to 9 p.m., Yucapalooza at Oxbow. Come on out. Now, Gordon, I notice you have got one or two musical 
instruments there. Seventeen musical instruments. Okay, here. one or two. I, I underestimated they can't a little see bit. Us. You got it. You know, got to exaggerate a little bit. Okay, you've got some. Uh, they have some strings. You got some kind of blowy into them type instruments. You've got something that it looks like you 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 sit on and it makes a noise. Which one do you want to care? Which do you care to? I think I'll play the more traditional the guitar today. Okay, just we, to, you know, for a change of pace. All right, let's have a let's have a change of pace with Mr. Gordon Lester. You got a song prepared? Well, sure. You said prepare a song. I, <laughs> so you I did? I prepared. Thanks. I prepared one. I prepared a couple, actually. This one, uh, I think I might have done it before. But this one has to do with my, my lack of sense of direction, um, which I know many people can relate to. So this is written as a love song, really, for my GPS. Uh, <laughs> okay. Named Jane. Is that what you want me to do now, is do this song? I think a song is, I'd love to have a song. Okay. She won't laugh, she won't crack a smile, and her style is cool and sophisticated. She won't lie, she'd never curse, her words are clear and calculated. When I lose my sense of direction, when I feel like I'm two feet tall, when I begrudge her elegant perfection, she doesn't judge me at all. Because she doesn't think, she doesn't ever think, she doesn't think I'm an idiot. She doesn't mind how much I waste my time. She doesn't think that I'm an idiot. We share a kind of wanderlust. She's not just the object of my desire. I turn her on. She knows the path I seek. She speaks, and I am taken by her. People stare when we go out together. They find our love a bit unorthodox. But it was there from the moment that I met her. Right out of the box. Because she doesn't think. She doesn't ever think. She doesn't think. I'm an idiot. She doesn't mind. How much I waste her time. She doesn't think that I'm an idiot. And this is where the band would play. Some little cool thing. Okay. And then the last verse goes like this. Last night... We're cruising Cider Grove, I drove in Jane, she navigated, merge right, she said, somehow left I veered, and I feared that she was aggravated, but when I asked, is anything wrong, Jane, she didn't give me any attitude. Or bite my head off for being in the wrong lane You know like some girls do Because she doesn't think She doesn't ever think She doesn't think I'm an idiot She doesn't see A single flaw in me Though I'm not the brainy kind No Bill Gates or Bob Einstein She doesn't think that I'm Everybody, an idiot. And that's a nice thing, you know, to not be thought of as an idiot. And so, Gordon, on this show, we would never think of you that way. Oh, well, not it's certainly not to my face. No, no, I refer to you as the mad musical genius. Ah, okay. <laughs>
but not in the angry kind of mad oh, way. Oh, okay, good, great. In that good kind of crazy mad way. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With an emphasis on the genius part. Great, great. Thank, Thank you. you. No, that's a great tune. That's Thanks. a great tune. Thanks. We are I got I got a note. We're we are awaiting somebody to be calling in. Ah. We don't normally take calls on this show. So that's why you were saying stop the song, stop the that's song. That's why I was giving you accent. Ah, <laughs> I wonder. That's why I was See, pulling the guitar out of your hand as you were. Yeah, I was wondering what was going on. <laughs> so that might happen at any point. I mean I'd l lo- I want to keep talking, but if I suddenly interrupt, I got a note that, that we might be getting a call. But until that happens, Gordon Lustig, I'd like to find out what's going on with you. We found out ah. what's up with uh, Mr. Lauren Mole. You've got some gigging coming up, do yeah. you not? I've actually got a regular gig, Silverado Resort and Spa on Atlas Peak, Saturday nights from 6 to 8, sometimes 6 to 8.30, sometimes even 6 to 9. Wow, oh, 6 to 9. You I used know. to do that shift here at our sister station, 6 to 9 on the Vine every Sunday night. Oh, really? But your Saturday night. That's Saturday night, Silverado, right at the, the front at the new market and bakery they have there. Just It's very casual and uh, just play instrumentals or, you know, whatever people want, want to hear. Yeah, folks know. can just come hang? Or yeah, they just come hang out. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have to buy anything. It's just yeah. free music, essentially. From Gordon Lustig, a yeah. Napa Valley icon. Yeah. There you go. That's good. And then something else I can't really talk about. So oh, I, I won't. Perfect for a radio show. Perfect. And uh, but I'll, I'll give a teaser. Maybe I can come back in August when I can talk more about it. But um, I'm going to be conducting uh, this unique orchestra in front of over seventeen thousand people at the Hollywood Bowl in Los Angeles. It's sold out, so you, you can't come anyway. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, thanks for mentioning it. Then yeah, sure. Well, that's I'll give ex- more details to come <laughs> <laughs> at the Hollywood Bowl. Yeah, Hollywood Bowl. Well, and can. I'm speechless almost, but I, I mean, that's a big deal, but I'm not that surprised. I mean, you do have a history in Los Angeles, Hollywood, having been a TV and film scorer, composer. It looks like our phone is ringing. Really? Should we, shall we answer? Yeah, sure. Let's, let's find out. Let's find out what's happening here. Hello, is this Ian? Hi, this is Ian Anderson, Ian. Hello, this is Judd. Welcome to the Hi. show. And we are well, live. Thank you very much. We are live on, and now that you're here, I would like to give you a proper Introduction via our on-air announcer, Mr. Lauren Mole. When offered okay, this, I'm, yes, I'm ready for it. Our it, 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 it impress me. Okay, he he is ready to impress you, and Lauren hit it. When offered this guest, our answer we did not over mole. The chance that we'd refuse was zero, zilch, and null. From fans and listeners, many questions we did call. And now it's time to hear some stories, guaranteed, not dull. So open up your ears and prepare your precious skull to get a taste of what's happening with our guest, Ian Anderson of Jethro Tull. That's right, ladies and gentlemen. <clears throat> Ian, welcome to the show. Hi, Ian. We have a... Uh... Oh, hi there. I'm afraid I didn't understand a word of that, partly because the sound quality isn't very good, but it also seemed to me you were talking some kind of weird mumbo-jumbo. Are, are you... Are you... Um, are you I have to be discreet. Are you on something? I mean, are you allowed to be on air and, and uh, in that condition? Well, this is Napa Valley, so I can't vouch for the sobriety of anybody in the studio right now. <laughs> I say, oh, well, it's just good old alcohol. That's all right. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, we're great proponents right. of that. Anyway. Where, where are you calling from right now? Well, it sounds like I'm calling from, or you're calling uh, from under the sea, because it's a very garbled uh, audio quality. I can just about make out um, some of what you're saying. 
Um, I'm calling you from the West Country of England, where I'm uh, currently doing a bunch of interviews in my in my production office, and um, and that's what very often at this time of the evening I'm doing. So uh, nothing unusual. And then I head off to Italy next for uh, ten days of shows, um, outdoor shows in the, in the heat of summer in Italy. So it's going to be a scorcher, and I shall be um, a kind of sweaty, slippery <laughs> bar of soap when I come off stage. You don't want to try and touch me. <laughs> it sounds, it's, you know how to sell it. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. Yeah, I saw you're about to embark on the tour. You have a brand new show. It's Jethro Tull, the rock opera about to embark. I'd love to hear a little bit about this. We've got uh, Gordon Lustig, our musical director, is here as well. We're all fans from a long time back and very excited to hear what you've got planned now. Well, it's, um, essentially, it is really, at heart, it is a best of Jethro Tell show. It's a collection of of well-known Jethro Tell songs from mainly the, the early repertoire, you know, the 70s into the 80s. And it's um, it's based on the, the uncanny similarity between elements of the, the life story of the, the real original Jethro Tell, the 18th century agriculturalist, and and topics that purely accidentally happen to have been songs that I've written because I didn't know very much about Jethro Tull at all until the summer of 2014 when I was driving through, actually driving through northern Italy on a tour, and and I looked up Jethro Tull to see what was written about him, you know, in terms of his personal life rather than you know the the uh, scientific inventions that he was responsible for. Um, and it was it was immediate. There was just these strange similarities that just struck, struck a chord with me. And thought, oh, I wrote a song that was you know, touched upon that, and, hmm. and then he went and did this. Oh, I have another song that talks about that. So just for a, to amuse myself on the journey, I um, I made a list of of songs that seemed applicable to his his life story, such as we know anything about it in the history books, and. Um, and there was a, a kind of a set list staring me in the face, and I then thought, well, that, that would make a good subject for a, a show. But I didn't really fancy getting on stage wearing um, long silk stockings and a, a, a wig and doing it as a period piece. So I thought, well, let, let's reimagine Jethro Tull in the present day and cast him as a as a, um, an agricultural innovator working in the... In the field of crop sciences, of cloning, of genetic modification, of feeding an ever-hungry planet, um, with uh, whatever science can can bring to bear to make that possible, especially in the face of of the uh, the the effect on our resources from from climate change. So all of that just seemed like it was quite topical and gave me a lot of uh, food for thought, as well as. Uh, as imagining food for the uh, the um, 13 billion that may be on planet Earth by the end of this century, so it, um, it it just kind of shaped itself. I had to write a few short new pieces just to give it a little bit more of uh, the the detail to to cover that notion. But essentially, what people get is a an elaborate production with big video screen and special guests and um, and what. I suppose is very colourful and I hope entertaining. But even if they don't know the story, even if they're not following the the detail, then it essentially it's still just 
toe-tapping music. I mean, that, that's that's the bottom line. If it wasn't entertaining on that level, it wouldn't work at all. But it seems to be have been very popular. We've done two tours in the USA on the East Coast and in the Midwest since we started this at the end of last year. And this is our third U.S. tour doing uh, doing this production show. So it um, you know we know that it works. Well, that's great. I mean, it sounds like a wonderful concept, and I'm sure it helps answer the question, which I'm not going to pose to you, because I'm, you must be sick of answering, you know, who was Jethro Tull, but this is sounds like a bit of a, a musical answer to that question you must get asked all the time, the 18th century agriculturalist. And I'm not going to ask you how that became the name of the band, because people can go to JethroTull.com and look up in your question or your list of questions you'd rather not answer anymore. That's all there. But I would like folks to know that You'll be coming to our neighborhood here in wine country in October. We've got October 25th in Santa Rosa at the Wells Fargo Luther Burbank Center. And also a couple days earlier, October 22nd in San Jose at the City Nation Civic Center. Now, I'm curious. You have such a wonderful stage style. You know, I I remember the first time seeing you. I, I had known the music and I liked the music, as you said. Toe tapping, very catchy. The lyrics grabbed me you know obviously somebody and now i know it's you with some intelligence had written these lyrics but i think it was when i actually visually saw a clip of you performing uh i believe it was a clip of the madison square garden maybe was that in the the later 70s perhaps uh is that video out there floating that rings a bell but when i saw this that is what hooked me on jethro tull because i could tell you were not only giving us a musical presentation. It was a complete visual. It was exciting. Your energy is contagious. Definitely understand showmanship. And I think you even said something. There's a clip where you're on camera before going out about not only entertaining the audience, but entertaining yourself as well. So that must be a very important aspect to your life in show business to keep yourself entertained as well. Would you... Would you agree with that? I think it's got to be the it's got to be the primary reason, really, for for doing what you do. If you if you're simply going out there to serve the the interests and the perceived needs of an audience, then you know you are just providing a service. It could be you could be a, a waiter in a restaurant or um, conducting colonoscopies in a, <laughs> in a surgical environment, just doing something that people need. It, it's it's all very laudable, but. I think you've got to enjoy what you do, and happily with what I do, it's much easier to find that sense of involvement and enjoyment than it is um, being a proctologist or a, um, or um, you know a surgeon involved with um, the scrapings of the lower bowel. So I mean, I, I can actually get really involved and enjoy what I'm doing. I doubt if uh, when I go for my Next colonoscopy, which, in case you're wondering, is on the 10th of November. <laughs> okay, then, so after um, the tour wraps up, that's I good. Shall, um, I sh- I sh- I sh- I'll be very worried of the guy doing it, if the aptly named Dr. Payne, <laughs> oh, no. um, which is his real name, if, if he was actually enjoying it, then I would be a little worried. You know, in this modern day with YouTube, I'm not going to put in this search, but I have a feeling we could probably find some proctologists who are entertaining themselves during procedures and i wouldn't want to yes, see that video either even the, even the very words even the very words youtube seems strangely <laughs> apt in the way that you in the uh, in which you use them i choose my words carefully Ian. yeah so with i'm curious with your with your with your background obviously for the past 
you know, few decades in showbiz. Did you grow up in this? It seems so natural to you, the, the musical aspect, blending music with visual entertainment, uh, your poetic lyrics. Did, did, were you, did you grow up in a musical or artistic family? Is this part of your DNA or is this something you pursued on your own? No, I, my, my family, as far as I knew, were, were definitely not um, people who came from a, uh, a background in the arts and entertainment. My, my, my brother trained as a pharmacist, oh. but at the age of 40 decided to retrain in the world of theatre and the arts and oh. um, went off to, um, to become eventually the theatre manager of the Harrogate Theatre and then, and then went to be the manager of the Scottish Ballet based in Glasgow. And for the next 20 years of his life, he, he ran the Scottish Ballet. And that, of course, is extremely theatrical in, yeah. in all sorts of ways. And, um, and it was only literally about four or five years ago that my, my brother told me that my mother, because I was playing at a particular theatre in Manchester and, and my brother said, oh, mother performed on that stage when, when she was a young girl. And I said, she did? What did she do? I thought, she, she, she was a dancer. I said, what? You're telling me my mother was a dancer? And apparently she was. She was a, she danced modern ballet. And she danced on that very theater stage that I was about to perform on in Manchester. And I had absolutely no idea that she did anything like that. She never told me. And my brother said, not only that, she played violin. Oh. And, um, which is another thing I had absolutely no idea about. And then I began to think, well, you know, I grew up as a, as a, the youngest, the much younger of three brothers. My, my mother was already quite old when she was 40, 41, 42 when I was born, mm. which was pretty old to be a, a mother back then. And, um, she was, um, very reticent, really, to talk about her past. I think what happened was yeah. that, you know, she had this great aspiration to be on the stage to, as a performer, but met my father, they got married, settled down, and, you know, and she became, um, if not a baby machine, it clearly was something that monopolized her, her life from then on, was bringing up a family and being a wife and mother in the traditional sense. And so I think she just put all of this stuff behind her. Probably with a sense of loss and regret. I, 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 will, I will never know that because I didn't know about it in order to be able to question her on it. But um, it was quite a shock to find out that indeed there had been this little element of, um, of performance in, in the background. And um, I never had the chance to talk to my, my mother about it before she died. So it was really quite a, I mean, not only a surprise, but a bit of a shock. And I, I felt. You know, I felt personally a great sense of having missed the opportunity to talk to her about what she had set out to do. Yeah, certainly what a conversation you could have had. Uh, what a wonderful discovery to have found oh, yes, out, I mean, though. She, she, she was, you know, quite proud of me and what, what, I, what I did, um, but, um, but she never, ever mentioned anything about being a dancer or a musician. It's just... So weird, isn't it? But it, there you go. It is a little and, odd. Um, so, yes, we, but other than that, no, they were not. So I'm not aware of there being um, anything to do with theatre, arts, entertainment. Just this little forgotten moment of my mother's. So maybe I was, maybe I was living out her hopes and dreams. Well, for her. 
I think there's something to that that you know parents pass down to their their kids, even if unspoken. And I, I would say it certainly shows through in your your, your showmanship, uh, integrating the well, theatrical nature. Passing down, better better to do that than pass down things like um, uh, you know prejudice, hatred, oh. uh, intolerance, and a whole bunch of other things that parents can often pass on to their children. And, in, absolutely, and of course, the ideology of politics is something. And the ideology of religion is something they pass on to their children. And in both those cases, I think you should absolutely, as Roger Waters said, leave them kids alone. <laughs> That's because, it. you know, if a religion is really so good, your children are going to find their way to it. They don't, they, they don't have to be led by the nose and, and indoctrinated um, into, into anything. You know, they're going to find it for themselves. It will come out and meet them halfway. In life, and I, I really do think children should be allowed to find their own way through to uh, whatever beliefs they they want. And I, I'm just very much against the idea that I think children should all be given a broad religious education. We should be we should be taught about um, the, plur- the, pl- the plurality of religions, uh, comparative religions. We should be aware of of the differences, the similarities, the history of. And, you know, we should all get a good grounding in what all of that spirituality is about from the, from the earliest days of, of uh, paganism and the old gods through to the, the, uh, the latter religions, many of which are variations on a theme, but some of which, of course, are relatively modern. And um, even if you include, I suppose, religions that are not really religions, like Scientology, there is that attempt to, again, indoctrinate people with a set of beliefs that have some spiritual value, and it's, um, it's something, again, I think we should, we should learn about. But it doesn't mean that you, uh, you should allow yourself as a child to be indoctrinated. Indeed, one of the reasons I got thrown out of school is because I um, found it very difficult to uh, give myself over to the, um, the beliefs that were being forced upon me as a, as a child growing up. With um, with a degree of questioning and and thoughtfulness about about the world around me, I, I could see that it wasn't tolerated very well. Um, my wife, in fact, was also thrown out of a Catholic school for um, intransigences, which were considered inappropriate for a young girl growing up in uh, in, in the uh, in the very heavy environment of um, of Roman Catholicism. Mm-hmm. So you know, we both long before we knew each other, both rebelled as, as uh, teenagers against that. But, you know, what did I do this morning? I visited two churches in my attempt to find a, a suitable recording venue for recording a string quartet album this coming September, so I'm immersed in the in the Anglican Christian Church, the Church of England. I perform in cathedrals and churches on a regular basis every Christmas for charity, and I do that stuff. Not because I'm a Christian, which I'm not, well, because I have a huge respect for the cultural importance of our, of our native religion, and indeed more so even for the buildings in which it's been practiced, which are, you know, sometimes, like the two churches I was in today, one of them was a Norman church, so, you know, we're going back to the 11th, 12th century, um, well, 12th, 13th century, and... Um, you know, I'd be playing at Worcester Cathedral this this Christmas, and in uh, Winchester Cathedral, and in Derby Cathedral, and 
two of the three are amongst our most important medieval cathedrals that are roughly speaking about a thousand years old and um I find all of that very um very spiritually uplifting for me and for the audience, even if it's not entirely um you know it's a it's a secular concert but it it embodies elements uh, an acknowledgement respectfully uh, to uh, the christmas christian liturgy musically and in terms of prayer and blessing because i think it's appropriate to do that well, but, I think you, know, I think you oh. find your way through these things. You don't, you don't need to be indoctrinated by your parents to tell you how to no. be a good person. No, and I think you're setting a fine example, and you hit on that word respect. And certainly in our, our world, I think that lacks quite a bit. It's certainly in the realm of accepting and being tolerant of one another's beliefs. And mm. uh, we tend to live in a bit of a bubble, and I think exposure to the world and other cultures is a very healthy and important part of life. So I could not disagree with and what you're saying. And indeed it is, and we touch upon issues that will be um, absorbing you all the more in the months to come as you prepare yourselves for uh, the, the the general election to, to elect a new president of the United States. And yeah. those who have the inbuilt ideology often handed down by their parents who know who they have to vote for because that's what they do every time, regardless of who the candidate is. Mm. Uh, and and his or her suitability to run the country. It just is the way you do it, because that's the way you were brought up. That's what you've always believed. And I, I think, you know, everybody owes it to, to clear all that stuff out of their heads and try to take an independent view, try to make your best, best, best estimate of who perhaps is the least worst. <laughs> if you <laughs> can't go along with it wholeheartedly. It, it often but, seems know, like it comes we, down to we, that. We are, we're relatively proud to live in a democracy, and I think the first thing, you know, is remember to get out of bed and make, you know, cast your vote. Do the right thing, even if it's difficult, even if you're not entirely happy with what you're doing. Yeah, I think you owe it to the all of those who fought so hard for equality, for the right to have a a place in the democratic freedoms of the West. You know, you owe it to them to cast your votes. I'm not going to tell you who to vote for, but I'm going to say, get out there and vote. Absolutely. Can we can we shift a little bit? We are in Napa Valley, which is, you know, world center of wine and food. Can we talk briefly about this? I I know and I have complete respect for this, that you are an aficionado of Indian food, one of my favorite cuisines and I, I just love reading your take on all of the different styles and dishes and how to approach ordering at an Indian restaurant and there was something you wrote on your on your blog uh, one of the things you should do when sitting at an Indian restaurant uh, and looking at the menu is pretend perusal of wine list which I thought is funny I don't often think of wine as a great accompaniment to Indian food I I tend to go beer perhaps a local Indian, like a kingfisher or something, but sometimes there are some wines that will go with this very complex yet subtly spiced foods. Do you have any, do you have any wine pairing recommendations? I certainly know you have dish recommendations, but since this is Napa Valley, I've got to go there to the wine. Well, like you, I, I would tend to go for the beer, um, but <laughs> please bear in mind that if you find something called Kingfisher in the USA, just as you will find it in the UK and throughout Europe, that ain't brewed in India. No, <laughs> it, we get it's it. brewed under license in a variety oh. of places. Probably in uh, probably the one you'd be drinking would be brewed in upstate New York somewhere under oh. license to one of the other big breweries. But 
Uh, Kingfisher is uh, is the name of an Indian brand, and, and, and Kingfisher in India tastes nothing like it does um, if you buy it in Europe or the USA. It's a, it's a fairly weird taste because uh, <laughs> certainly it used to. Last time I was in India, Kingfisher employed a lot of um, potassium nitrate in, in um Essentially, it's a preservative. So, oh. you drank kingfisher. It was rather like you were you were eating a you know a, a, um, July the Fourth firework. You could taste mm. the gunpowder in your Delicious. mouth. Delicious, very Guy strange taste. Kingfisher in America, but anyway, no, you can find some imported American beers. Uh, sorry, Indian beers in America, but not so easily over here in the UK because uh, they don't really pass our very stringent laws in terms of the way that they're brewed. So hence, they are usually brewed under license. I see, you know, anyway, been... they are. Um, the, the, you know, beer is going to be the best thing. And if you're if you're eating something um, spicy and hot, then I would recommend to you rather than any beer at all, try a mango lassi. Oh yeah, that'll cut which it. Which is uh, mango juice with uh, with a kind of thin yogurt, and it's um, it's a very nice, creamy sort of relaxing drink to have before a meal or even to sip if you're finding the um, the spices a bit overwhelming. Then um, when I say spices, I really mean capsaicin, the, the, hot the stuff. chemical ingredient which makes hot peppers hot. If, that's, uh, if, if you've overdone it on the heat, then um, a mango lassi will cool it down. Uh, or a cucumber writer, which Ooh, is a cucumber with a, again with a yogurt, which will have the the effect of um, cooling your mouth down and uh, absorbing some of the heat of the capsaicin. But so uh, yeah, beer, beer, beer would be the you know my accompaniment. But I think if you were having something that wasn't too too hugely rich, then wine would be very very appropriate, and I would keep it probably very light and fruity and very cold. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Maybe I, I can't imagine red. I can't imagine red wine working terribly well with curry, but a, but a nice light. Fruity white wine would would be the right thing to have if you were having a chicken korma or a, yeah. or a, a king prawn pasanda or something sort of nice and light and not too spicy. I'll share a quick story of a red wine that recently I had with an Indian dinner. Uh, I brought it as a hostess gift to our neighbor who is Indian and was cooking for us. I did not expect her to open this. It was a petite Syrah, which can be a little heavy, a little tannic, but she did open it, and I was a little hesitant to, to quaff it, but you know what? There was something – well, first of all, the food she cooked was for us white folks, and it wasn't too spicy. It was very aromatically spiced, but not too much capsaicin, which I think helped. But there was a seamless quality with the, with the fruit component of the food and the spice in the food that went with the fruit component of the wine and a little bit of the pepperiness of the wine that just created this, this wonderful experience. And I was discovering – Elements of my own wine brought out by the food that I never knew were there, and it actually gave me the the chills, the goosebumps, and a little bit misty. It was it was kind of a life changing moment to discover that there are a selection of wines that I could now have with one of my favorite cuisines, being Indian food. It was mm. it was wonderful, very exciting well, for me. You're, 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 you're obviously a man who knows his wine. Maybe you can advise me um, uh, of a suitable. Uh, red wine that I might find very low in sulfites. Oh, low in sulfites. Because uh, my wife is, um, she, she likes the occasional glass of red wine, but it immediately brings her out in fits of sneezing and, 
and um, it's um, something she can't really cope with. But we have managed to find uh, just recently a supplier in the UK of of very low. I mean, the thing is, the grape produces naturally produces sulfate. This is true, as well but as histamine. It's often added as a preservative and added to to, to be part of the uh, the process of of. Um, of bringing that wine to to its uh, final state for consumption, it, it's not something that you know you, you really get to know too much about. Right. But there are low sulfite wines where, where no sulfite is added at all, and therefore it's only the natural amount that would be in the grape. True. And, and it's really hard to find. But I imagine in uh, in Napa Valley there are probably more likely to be sources of low-sulfite wine than there are tomorrow when I go to Italy, actually the day after tomorrow, <laughs> where they wouldn't dream of doing anything other than the way they do it. And then you, you, you obviously you mentioned the world centre for, for um, wine uh, production, um, but of course you couldn't really say that to your average Italian. You no, couldn't and say I... it to your average Frenchman, and you couldn't mention such a thing in South Africa, Argentina, <laughs> Chile, or a host of other wine-producing nations, all of whom have um, have learned in in New World parlance to produce you know very good um, varieties of. Uh, you know, um, when, when when grapes have, have made it across to other countries in the world, have, have perhaps produced something slightly different, but they still use very much the same grapes and produce things very often in the same way. Well, uh, I do think perhaps in uh, I think I think we're going to have more success in finding a low sulfite red wine in Napa Valley than I would in the. Um, um, in the uh, the north of Italy or certainly France. So maybe you can think about it and give me a suitable name to go looking for in a yeah, in I a, can. In a liquor store or whatever you buy. I'll do a little research and I'll drop you a line, and I'll also leave you something mm. to think about in that respect: is the histamines that naturally occur in the skins of the. Uh, red grapes that often people react with sneezing fits. I know my, my grandmother would never skip a glass of red wine, even though she would break into just an incredible sneezing jag every time, and she'd pop a little uh, antihistamine and be on with her evening, and she was fine. Are, mm. are you a wine connoisseur? I noticed the, the album cover of a classical case, the, the Jethro Tull with the London Symphony Orchestra, has strong wine imagery on it. Is this... This is born of your own wine well, appreciation. You know, wine is, I, I do drink. I drink wine occasionally at home. I'm not a, an aficionado, and I certainly wouldn't dream of, of uh, you know, spending more than about ten dollars on a bottle of wine because it'd be wasted on on somebody like me. Oh. I spent uh, twenty years of my life smoking cigarettes and mm. a pipe, and although a lot of my taste has returned and, and smell has has um, you know came back to me fairly quickly after quitting which I did about 23 years ago. Um, and so, you know, I think of myself as, as tasting and smelling pretty well again these, these days. But um, I think probably wine is just too much of a connoisseur thing. I, 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 it would be wasted on me. So I will enjoy a glass of white wine two or three mornings in the week. It's, uh, for me, it's a morning drink, you know, something I would have before lunch. But um, well, I never drink wine with a meal in the evening. In fact, I don't really drink alcohol with food in the evening. No? It's um, just not something that appeals to me. I tend to drink water when I eat. Well, it's certainly health benefits to staying hydrated, but I like to think there's some something to the longevity of uh, drinking a glass of wine. But what I would like to do is invite you. I notice you've got a, a few days between San Jose and Santa Rosa. 
Uh, if you happen to be coming through Napa Valley, I'd love for you to swing by our family winery, Judd's Hill, and I'd be more than honored to uh, give you the personal tour and a, a few tastes of some nice white wine, or if you feel up to it, a little red as well. Um, we always show folks a good time. Be happy to have well, you come. That's a very kind offer. I, I think, um, actually, it's my wife's birthday just around there, and uh-huh. I think... Um, I think I should be otherwise engaged in uh, trying to, in the middle of a, of a tour, because she has to work every night. She's the tour accountant and drives um, pretty much the same distances as the truck drivers oh, and dear. bus drivers do. So she she works very hard, and um, when we do get a night off, it's usually a very quiet night and an early uh, uh, an early supper and early to bed. So Understood. we're not exactly very good company, but, <laughs> uh, but it is indeed her birthday just around uh, that particular moment when, in fact, when we performing in San Jose, I think. So the next day is uh, the day after her birthday, but the day when we will have a relaxing day together away from band and crew and uh, strong drink. (laughs) The day off, well... Um, but yes, she, she's. Uh, the, 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 I have to say that the guys in the band, you know, that's probably the most important thing for them. They, they all really do enjoy a glass of wine after the show. A couple of them drink beer, but but most of them will have a glass of wine after the show. Some of them tend to drink red. Some of them prefer white. But it's it's. I I know on the rare occasions I head back to the to the room where the um, you know where the uh, snacky food and beers and wine are. And by the time I get there, when I've packed up and cleaned my instruments and put everything away, and I'm probably the last one in there, and I'm usually looking at, at two empty bottles that used to contain white wine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm afraid it's always it's always pretty much gone by the time I get there. Well, I'm, I'm one glad thing to hear I will tell you. Uh, this yes. is a, here's a little anecdotal moment. We we, we now insist on a on a contract rider that I think is something like two bottles of white and two bottles of red and 12 beers. I mean, that, that's all that's on our rider. Nothing big, nothing fancy. There's no point in wasting well, money and space. So we, we, only, we, only, we, only, uh, we only ask for what we, you know, we and the crew can consume after a show. And um, I do these days specify on the rider that the wine has to be in screw cap bottles. Oh. No corks. And that um, is because... Part of the reason for that is because very often the catering people put out the wine and they forget to ah. put a corkscrew. <laughs> and they're all, you know, scraping around trying to find some way of getting a cork out of a bottle. But more importantly, it's because that a few years ago, Martin Barr was... Um, actually, this was again in Italy. It's the third time Italy crops up here. Um, opening a bottle of, of Italian wine and uh, was using a Boyd's corkscrew and was was levering the cork out of the bottle when the, the, the neck of the bottle broke in his Ooh, hand, ah. gashed him gashed him across the uh um uh, the in in the uh not in the palm of his hand but right across one finger. Ooh. And he blood was pouring everywhere, they had to rush him up to hospital, he was, you know, stitched up and given um, you know, antibiotics and painkillers and whatever else. And, and the next day, he couldn't move his hand. It, it was right up until showtime when we thought we would have to do the show without Martin because his finger, had, you know, everything had swollen up and uh, and it missed a tendon by a millimeter. Oh, the dangers of one very, very, very lucky. Yeah, yeah. And, and from that moment onwards, I just thought, this is insane. It's 
from here on in, it's screw caps only. Good. <laughs> Smart move. That's that's on the Jethro Tull rider. No more injurious wine drinking. And we don't, uh, in case they think we're very bohemian and we don't like a cork, <laughs> because uh, uh, it's actually with very, very good reason. That's You're progressive. Been, that's the newest thing. And, well, and there are indeed a lot of people who will say that a screw cap these days is actually a better way of of um, of of actually bottling uh, a cheap or medium rated wine. Yeah, a wine that doesn't a necessarily cork, which will allow the wine to breathe, might right. have its advantages with a superb wine. But you know, for the kind of wine us guys drink, um, you know, then um, a screw cap is really pretty good. And I, I, one thing I really don't like is those artificial corks, those sort of plasticky things that. When you've got them out of the bottle, you can never put the damn things back if you want to temporarily cork up the bottle again. So um, I, I'm, I'm a screw cap guy. Well, that's that's good to know. When we um, when you come to Santa Rosa, we'll find some of the finest screw cap local wine for you. Yeah, uh, a low, low sulfite screw cap wine. <laughs> that's right. Well, and I appreciate anyway, you supporting our industry. Great. And I want to give you one that's plug before right. you great go. To yeah, once again, right. uh, Je- I'm just going to give you a plug before you go. I want to be conscious of your time. It's Jethro, right, okay. Jethro Tull, The Rock Opera, coming October 22nd to San Jose City Nation Civic Center and right here to our neighbor in Santa Rosa on October 25th at the Wells Fargo, now called Luther Burbank Center. And anybody wants tickets, I'm I'm going to go. JethroTull.com. Ian Anderson, wow, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Judd's Napa Valley Show. It's a great pleasure. Good to talk to you. Looking forward to being with you in in a couple of months' time. Great. Fantastic. Thank Thank you very much indeed. Goodbye. Thanks again. Bye. Bye. Well, how about that? Ian Anderson from Jethro Tull. Surprise guest. How about that? Thank you, Gordon Lustig. You know what? It wasn't that much of a surprise. We had a little bit of uh, forward notice, and I had a whole Mad Libs game prepared, (laughs) which he had graciously agreed to do, but we just kept talking and we're out of time. So thank you, Mr. Anderson. It was a pleasure talking. Thank you, Gordon Lustig. You have a song, actually. So anyone listening now, check back in about a week or so for the podcast when this posts via iTunes. Look for Judd's Napa Valley Show. We're going to go record Gordon's song right now, a little tribute to Jethro Tull. And in the meantime... This is Lauren Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a Gilamar production. This is Ian Anderson Writing little pearls unlike anyone He's got some upcoming shows From Stavanger to nearby Santa Rosa Oh, it sounds like fun I'm dying to attend one Watching him play oldies like Aqualung Ah, Aqualung He is like a genius Whipping up pieces like Homo Eraticus And Aqualung not that old though he's been around forever writing songs with clever rhymes and prose 
leg off the ground as he wows us with his mojo. He blows his flute with locomotive breath. Ian by phone, his graciousness bestowed. Standing ovation owed and a cup of tea. Anderson, my friend, bless your heart and take it easy. On behalf of Judd, Lauren, and me. Judd's Napa Valley Show.